Hey there, Jeff and Salisa here. Before we kick off this episode of the Leading Learning Podcast, we want to make a small request of you, dear listener. If you're someone who has listened to the show before and gotten value out of it, or if you're someone listening for the first time and you find this episode valuable, please take just a moment to leave a rating and brief review for Leading Learning on iTunes by going to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. Reviews play an important role in the long-term success and sustainability of any podcast. Your reviews help attract new listeners, and they help show potential sponsors that the show is reaching listeners and having an impact. We know you're busy, as we all are, so please know that we really appreciate every review we receive. We'd be truly grateful if you would take just a moment to contribute a review today. Now, on with the show. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello there. Welcome to episode 186 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Ian Chu, Managing Director at Owl Ventures, a venture capital fund that invests in education technology companies. Ian brings a perspective to the show that we haven't had before, so we're excited to have him here. But before we get to the interview, we want to take just a moment to highlight a recent review of the show and express our appreciation. That's right. We noted before rolling the usual intro for this episode that reviews really are critical to the show's long-term success, and we thought it might be helpful to provide an example. So this review comes from Gail C. Gail gives Leading Learning a five-star rating and writes, another great episode. Just listened to number 176, Five Big Takeaways from Traffic and Conversion 2019 packed with actionable insights. I always appreciate the great show notes as well so that I can listen on the go and follow up with the notes to record my key takeaways. Thanks so much to Gail for leaving that review and also pointing out the value of the show notes as part of it. Yes, thank you, Gail. And I'll note that the review is very brief, just a headline and two sentences. So if you're worried that leaving a review will be time-consuming, rest assured that it can be done very quickly. Just go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes, give us a rating, hopefully five stars, and jot down a couple of sentences. That's it. Now, to turn back to the main focus of this episode, Jeff, you were the one who got to talk with Ian Chu. What did the two of you cover? Well, the backdrop for our conversation is the fact that there has been just a, a real surge in the level of investment flowing into educational technology companies over the past several years. And 2018 was a record year, and, and there don't seem to be any signs of investment letting up. So it definitely seems like a good time to get the perspective from someone who is on the front lines of investing in ed tech, and Ian is definitely right there in the thick of it. I had the pleasure of connecting with him probably about a year ago as he was researching the lifelong learning market. And of course, that is our bailiwick. So he came across us in his research and reached out. And in talking with him a number of times, I've just been impressed with the, the acumen and thoughtfulness he brings to investing in the sector. So I tried to ask questions that would bring that out in this discussion, and we talk about everything from the basics of venture capital to successful business models in the current learning landscape, 
to the trends that ENC's shaping the future of edtech and lifelong learning. All in all, I think listeners will find plenty here that will help them understand an investment niche that's really critical to the market for lifelong learning. Well, as I said at the outset, you know, he's bringing a perspective we haven't had on the show before and everything you highlight does sound like it will be of interest to our listeners. So let's go ahead and roll the interview with Ian Chu. Welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Jeff Cobb, and today I'm joined by Ian Chu. Ian is a managing director at Owl Ventures, one of the firms that is leading a wave of investment in educational technology companies. Ian has a wealth of experience in educational investing and board service, and I've personally enjoyed both getting to know him a bit and hearing his perspectives on the lifelong learning market in conversations we've had over the past several months. We thought leading learning listeners would also appreciate hearing Ian's perspectives and the perspectives of the venture capital community more generally, so I'm happy to have him as a guest for this episode. Ian, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Pleasure. Well, to to start us off, um, I want to give you a chance to say a little bit more about yourself and your background and work, uh, maybe about Owl Ventures. What would you like to highlight for listeners? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I've been investing in, in technology now for uh, 15 years. I started out as a uh, firm called Silver Lake Partners, uh, making large-scale tech investments. And then the last uh, 10 years prior to Owl Ventures was at Warburg Pincus uh, as well, making growth investments within uh, education technology. So I've been investing uh, in EdTech for the past uh, 10 years. And Owl Ventures, uh, you know, we are an EdTech-focused fund, uh, and we're investing behind you know, transformative companies in education. Uh, you know, we have now 28 portfolio companies, uh, and we're managing over $600 million across three funds. Uh, for your listeners, uh, Bench Prep, Degreed, uh, Thinkful, Noodle Partners, those are a few of our investments that touch on career skills, lifelong learning, university education. Um, so those are some of the relevant ones. And we also uh, invest in a number of companies within uh, the K-12 market as well. Well, now, and I sort of cut my teeth, you know, coming into the whole world of uh, online learning and uh, adult lifelong learning. Um, in the venture capital world, I was there in the, the go-go uh, dot-com days in the, in the mid-90s mm-hmm. and lots of right. money being invested. But, but I'm going to go out on a limb and um, assume that most leading learning listeners may not have that degree of experience with uh, venture capital. In fact, they may, they may only have a vague idea about how venture capital actually works. Could, could you give us just a, you know, sort of a brief primer, a, a kind of VC 101? Sure. Yeah. You know, venture capital as an industry, uh, you know, what we are doing is essentially uh, investing behind companies that we believe are going to transform a particular sector. So in this case, for OWL, it's education um, as a sector that we focus on. You know, other firms are going to be investing on uh in, in focusing in areas like fintech or financials, um, you know, real estate tech or logistics and transportation. Uh, I think just this week there's going to be Uber uh, coming out uh, to go public as an example. And so, you know, for us uh, as an industry and as a firm, you know, what we are doing is we're investing on behalf of our own investors, um, you know, which includes the likes of pensions and university endowments. Uh, and we're looking for these companies to invest in that, you know, we can, uh, support them, you know, not only by providing them with 
our capital, but also our sector focus, our experience working with and helping to scale companies, our relationships, uh, you know, within a sector, uh, and really just provide them with not only the capital uh, as they continue to grow, uh, but but everything around building a business. And so for for us, you know, we'll invest uh, here at Al anywhere between call it five to thirty five million dollars. Uh, and we'll also hold reserves, uh, essentially what we call follow up for follow on investments, um, you know, to support the company uh, as it grows. There's certainly going to be some uh, venture firms that invest uh, at an earlier stage, even than we do. Uh, small amounts, um, you know, there are segments of the, the the investment world where you know called angel investors, um, right? So this could be friends or families of an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, where they're investing a couple hundred thousand dollars even, um, you know, just to get going. Um, our investment period, are, and generally, I would say, for, for venture capital is going to be measured in years. Um, and so this, these are long-term investments, uh, long-term relationships that we're establishing. Um, and then eventually, you know, as the companies grow and as, uh, you know, hopefully they achieve uh, essentially success, um, these companies will either be bought or taken public or some other form of, um, you know, exit or liquidity for the venture firms. And then we in turn, uh, then return that money, uh, you know, to, to our investors, uh, you know, once that happens. If you're ready to invest in educational technology to help drive the growth and success of your learning business, we suggest you check out our sponsor for this quarter. Community Brands provides a suite of cloud-based software for organizations to engage and grow relationships with the individuals they serve, including association management software, learning management software, job board software, and event management software. Community Brands' award-winning crowd wisdom learning platform is among the world's best LMSs for corporate extended enterprise and is a leading LMS for association-driven professional education programs. Award-winning Freestone, Community Brands' live event learning platform, is a leading platform for live learning event capture, webinars, webcasts, and on-demand streaming. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash community brands. And now back to Jeff and Ian as they discuss the surge in ed tech investments over the past several years. I want to come back in a minute uh, to to when this is most appropriate, when, when venture capital you know, makes the most uh, sense as opposed to other ways of uh, funding a company. But, but, but before we get there, you know, one of the, the key reasons you're, you're here for this episode is that, uh, I mean, we've obviously been seeing a significant rise in ed tech investment over the past several years. Um, and at least, at, yeah, at least at numbers I've looked at, you know, something like, you know, a half a billion or so in 2011 to more than a billion and a half or nearly a billion and a half in, in 2018 is probably past that uh, at this point. Um, I mean, what's, it feels it feels a little bit like those dot com you know days that uh, that I was talking about uh, when so much money was being thrown at at, at ed tech. What what's driving the investment this time, and how how's it uh, different? Yeah, no, wonderful question. Um, a couple of things, and actually, you know, some of the figures that you quoted, um, you know, I suspect are also U.S. only. I mean, I think if you zoom out, um, you know, as well, twenty eighteen saw north of $8 billion, you know, when you take into account some of the global markets uh, wow. as well. And so, you know, there is, um, you know, a lot of interest right now in, in education. And I'd say there's, there's a couple of things. Um, and I don't think this is a passing fancy uh, at all. Um, you know, if you look at the global expenditure uh, for education as a whole, 
uh, it's measured in the trillions of dollars. So, um, you know, call it $6 trillion uh, today. Um, if you look back at, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it's probably half of that. Um, and in 2030 is forecasted to be uh, $10 trillion. And so this is a market that is going from 3 to $10 trillion globally in spend. Uh, and then the other factor underneath that is the digital adoption uh, is growing. And so as a sector, uh, you know, education has generally lagged uh, other industries, and there's a variety of reasons uh, for that. You know, a couple of just to kind of share with your listeners. Um, certainly, I think infrastructure, uh, you know, if you take K-12 as one example, or even um, higher education, for many K-12 uh, organizations and schools, public schools, uh, for many years didn't actually have broadband internet access uh, in the school buildings. Uh, and then for career learners, I think the, if you look at the adoption of mobile, uh, certainly the comfort with uh, learning digitally and, and on the go uh, you know, has only been on the rise. I mean, if, even if you look uh, at our own sort of personal behaviors, um, you know, I personally am certainly listening to more and more podcasts, consuming more video content, uh, you know, today than I was 10 years ago, um, certainly. And uh, as you think about those trends, more spending, uh, more digital penetration, um, you know, that's what's fueling a lot of the interest right now in the sector and within uh, education technology specifically. Um, and I think generally what you find in, in technology is that oftentimes it, it takes a little bit longer than folks imagine, uh, you know, for things to get going. But then when it finally does get going, the adoption actually is much faster, right? So, I mean, I think the classic example of this is if you think about, um, you know, the adoption of smartphones mm -hmm. uh, and, and iPads and, and things of that nature. If you go back, uh, you know, 20 plus years, if you remember the, the, those, the Apple Newton uh, product or even the Palm Pilot uh, in the first generation. And, you know, those, those products were slow to kind of get going. And eventually, I think perhaps even a little bit early uh, for their time. And, and then now in the last, obviously, 10 to 12 years, uh, you know, now everybody has, uh, you know, smartphones, um, you know, and is walking around, uh, you know, I think north of 80 percent even of, you know, teenagers now are uh, using smartphones, you know, every single day, uh, obviously. And so um, those types of behavioral changes uh, as well as, uh, you know, technology changes is what's fueling uh, a lot of the interest uh, in investing and a lot of company growth um, in the sector as well. And you just mentioned the Palm Pilot, which was taking me back uh, nostalgically because I, I, was, I was a proud Palm Pilot uh, yeah. owner, you know, and obviously that particular technology uh, fizzled away. But, but as you said, you know, others came along that, that served that need that was represented by um, the, right. the, the Palm Pilot. And so, you know, plenty of continued uh, growth and investment um, in, in that area. And as you're saying, it just makes a lot of sense to be investing in, in ed tech at this point. Um, does that mean that... Um, that we're going to be seeing a wave of, uh, of ed tech IPOs sometime in the next uh, few years? Uh, yeah, you know, what we, we've actually have seen uh, already a number of ed tech companies uh, go public uh, in the last couple of years. And so, you know, names that um, may be familiar to some of your listeners, companies like Pluralsight, uh, you know, Chegg is a public company, Instructure mm -hmm. uh, is another one as well. Um, and so I think in the last few years, certainly there have been uh, a number of companies already within education uh, that have gone public. And so, you know, that's something that as a sector matures, uh, I think we'll continue to see happen. There's also a number of companies internationally, uh, you know, frankly, that have gone public 
uh, within education as well. So if you think about China, um, you know, some of the companies I've gone there have been more K-12 focused, um, mm-hmm. like companies like TAL or, uh, or New Oriental, uh, as an example. Um, so I think that will continue. And I think as companies continue to grow and scale in the sector as a whole, uh, you know, continues to grow and scale, you'll see more and more companies that are, uh, appropriate for the public markets. Right, right. And I, I know for, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, um, a lot of investors that, that, that IPO, that initial public offering is sort of, you know, that, that's a big goal to, to get there and, and to, to go public on, on a stock market and, you know, have your, your shares uh, traded. But that's obviously not what every company is headed for. And for that matter, you know, not, not every company is appropriate for venture capital. Um, so c- could you talk a little bit about where venture capital tends to be most appropriate um, as opposed to, you know, bootstrapping or, or uh, taking out a, a loan or, you know, th- those sorts of methods for getting the capital that a company needs. Where, where is VC more appropriate? And, and to the extent that you can comment on it, um, you know, in, in the, the adult lifelong learning market, where do you see it as being particularly helpful? Yeah, no, wonderful question. Um, you know, I think VC is appropriate uh, for certain companies, like as you mentioned, and, and for others, I think bootstrapping is is a wonderful way to go as well, right? So it's it really depends on uh, on the entrepreneur. Uh, you know, really depends on what, what are their goals. Um, you know, how do they see their business as they're starting to write up their business plan, or they're, as they're starting to build their business? What are their objectives, and and how do they think that that's going to be best served? If uh, a particular entrepreneur, as an example, is looking. Uh, you know, really for this to become a lifestyle business. Uh, if this is a consulting business or if this is a small technology services company where, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're happy with, uh, you know, essentially retaining 100% control uh, or control with their partners. Uh, if they're happy with uh, investing their profits, uh, you know, that emerge every given year into the growth of the company and slowly scaling the company uh, and over a you know period of time, building a nice uh, business that frankly supports uh, you know for, supports their family, uh, that that's a wonderful way to go. And certainly there are uh, large companies as well that could emerge from that. But you know more often than not, I would say bootstrapped companies uh, either take a a longer period of time certainly because uh, you have less capital to invest every given year, um, you know, or they just you know essentially stay as as lifestyle businesses until uh, until you know the entrepreneur retires effectively. And so, um, I, I would say for venture uh, money and for venture backed companies, uh, the goal maybe is slightly different, right? The goal is that there is a large market opportunity. Um, the goal is that uh, you know you as an entrepreneur uh, wants to go pursue that. Uh, and and I'd say the competitive dynamics also play a factor, right? Because if if in a given sector, uh, other companies start to aggressively uh, take market share, uh, th- you may not have the luxury uh, of just simply bootstrapping and growing kind of step by step. Mm. Uh, and so I say the market uh, dynamics are important. The entrepreneur uh, and their goals uh, are certainly important. But in areas where the entrepreneur is looking to grow and scale, where the market is competitive and growing quickly uh, and large, uh, I think having sort of VC investors behind you can support uh, not only through the capital that's invested, but also through, again, the network, the relationships, the introductions, the experience, seeing around the corner, those types of things, uh, you know, as investors that we can provide. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, as investors, we are taking a, 
uh, ownership stake in the company, uh, and we are involved. And so, you know, as an entrepreneur, again, it depends on, you know, do you want that, right? Do you want somebody else, uh, you know, working with you together, uh, sharing their thoughts um, and having a stake of the company, or would you rather, uh, you know, do it on your own and, and with your partners? Yeah, I definitely know uh, some some entrepreneurs do not do well with uh, having having other people involved in their in their company. So that is something you definitely have to put some some thought into. And you um you mentioned the the, the c word uh, there as you were talking, which in this case means uh, competition. I, and I know I know for a lot of our listeners. That's an important word these days because whether it's whether it's venture funded companies or whether it's you know um, you know bootstrap startups who are just ambitious, uh, there is a there is a lot more competition now in this world of continuing education, professional development. You know, a lot of clients we work with they used to be the only game in town. You know, that their their members would show up and and get their education, and that was kind of it. And that's not the case anymore. This is there's it's been a really disruptive age. Um, so you know, with that in mind, um, I, I'd love to hear what you see as potentially promising areas for collaboration um, between some of those traditional players, um, like you know, colleges and universities, trade and professional associations. How can they collaborate with this new wave of ed tech companies in, in a way that's as productive as possible for, for everybody involved? Yeah, no, it's a wonderful question. I think the you know, colleges and universities and associations clearly, uh, you know, have been uh, obviously around for hundreds of years. Uh, and, you know, I would say, uh, you know, are at the center uh, oftentimes of, you know, as learners kind of go through their career journey and think about how they want to navigate their own careers, where you get your degree, where you get your graduate school degree, where you get your certification, how do you get involved uh, and learn more about a particular uh, field uh, that you're working in? Where do you develop those relationships? Th- this is where colleges and universities and associations really excel, right? Uh, you know, you have annual conferences. Uh, everybody knows that this is really the node where, uh, you know, individuals go every year to, to connect and, and be seen and be heard. Uh, and so I think that plays a extremely uh, and continues to play an extremely valuable uh, place in this ecosystem, especially as, uh, you know, oftentimes I would say the world is becoming uh, in some ways more uh, a bit more fragmented as well. Um, you know, people kind of go into, uh, you know, their own sort of siloed areas and then, you know, pick their heads up and try to figure out, well, where, how can I continue to make an impression on the market that I'm in? You know, where I see ed tech kind of stepping in is helping uh, the digitization and, and processes. So by that, I mean, if you can digitize some of the learning and uh, increase uh, access and reduce costs while improving outcomes, you know, that's something that I think serves everybody, all stakeholders uh, well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we invested in a company called Bench Prep uh, not too long ago. And, you know, what they're doing is essentially providing uh, a digital learning platform uh, that partners with different associations and learning organizations to provide a digital learning platform. Uh, and these are the types of things where I, I see the associations that are providing that content, that are providing uh, the learner relationships, they can leverage the digital learning side. Uh, they can really reach more learners. Uh, they can achieve a higher pass rate, uh, you know, for HRCI, which is an organization that Bench Prep, uh, you know, works with. I think their users achieve uh, like a 55% higher pass rate than, than the national average. And then also, you know, from a business standpoint as well, it's helpful. Um, and so they work with 
you know, CompTIA, uh, as an example, which saw a 20% increase in the revenue of one of their certifications uh, in the first year. And so I think there's a place for ed tech uh, to collaborate um, around that content digitization. Another interesting area uh, that I find uh, continues to provide value for universities and associations is around benchmarking and data. Mm. Uh, because once you have things that are digital uh, and once you have learners or uh, other stakeholders involved, uh, you know, in a digital fashion, you, you really have what I call exhaust data that gets produced. So, you know, what are people engaging with? How are people using uh, and, you know, what are they learning, uh, you know, when they engage with your learning content? Uh, if you have, um, you know, for example, folks that are taking certification exams, where are they coming from? Uh, even uh, so simple things like, do you have more penetration or awareness of your certification in the Northeast versus the Southwest? You know, a lot of this information uh, can be hard to get at. Um, and now that you have digital solutions, there, there's a lot more benchmarking and data and insights uh, that you can glean from that uh, and then translate that into how you make your decisions uh, and where, where you, you, you as an organization are starting to uh, invest in, uh, you know, your growth, for example. So Noodle Partners is another company that we've invested in in the past, um, you know, that uh, provides a digital platform to take degree programs online. And so that, for example, they just signed uh, an arrangement agreement with the University of Michigan Ross School of Business uh, so that you can take essentially a 100 uh, percent MBA program online. Uh, and so, again, the these organizations, the universities, associations, um, you know, they have approved, obviously, and created certifications and degrees, and I think that's tremendously valuable. And then overlaying and, and incorporating technology and digital uh, into all of those uh, can only make those more accessible and more scalable for those organizations. If you're looking for a technology partner to help you make your learning offerings more scalable and accessible, we encourage you to check out our sponsor for this quarter. WBT Systems develops the industry-leading top-class LMS, which delivers transformative professional development experiences for education and certification programs. With a single point of support from in-house integration experts, top-class LMS easily integrates with a wide variety of systems to provide efficient administration and a unified learning experience. WBT supports organizations in using learning technology to help drive growth in membership increase revenues, and enhance the learning experience. WBT believes in truly understanding your challenges and partnering with you to ensure the success of your education programs. Find out more at leadinglearning.com WBT. And now back to Jeff and Ian as they discuss the business models that work in the emerging lifelong learning landscape. And you're starting to get at this um, some with what the, the, the comments you just made, but um, you know, obviously, if you, you know whether whether there's investment involved or, or not, um, you know, anybody who's going to be running an education company of of, of some sort um, ultimately has to make money to you know to, to keep going and to grow. Um, you know, what are you seeing work right now? What in you know, what? is potentially very interesting right now in terms of business models that are, that are working in this market for education, particularly this market for, you know, lifelong learning, continuing education. Yeah. You know, I think the, the business models here are, are, are still largely, uh, can still largely be the same, right? So it's not that, um, 
you know, say taking a certification, uh, you know, is necessarily different than it was, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, you're still seeking out, you know, learners, you're still seeking out uh, stakeholders within a particular industry uh, to, to take your certification. You're still wanting that certification to, to essentially be recognized and be meaningful, uh, you know, within the community that you're serving. So I think what, what technology has been able to do is to really continue to amplify uh, that, right? And so, um, you know, for a lot of associations right now, um, you know, certainly the certification exams uh, and uh, everything around that is uh, a large revenue generator. Uh, and so the, the fees, the, the memberships, uh, you know, that all generates revenue. Again, the one thing that, that we saw and that we believe in, um, you know, as we backed a company like BenchPrep is, you know, that there's opportunity to stand up uh, you know, new revenue lines around learning uh, and preparation as well. Because, uh, again, one of the things that we've started to see, uh, and you take CFA, uh, which is a client of bench preps, as an example, um, you know, for certification, it's, it's not always um, true that folks that actually even register for your certification end up completing, obviously. And so there's a, there's certainly leakage, uh, you know, involved in that. And so how do you, you know, improve that? How do you improve the number of certifications, uh, and yield that you get out of that? Uh, and we think that learning and preparation is a big part of that. So not only does it, uh, you know, enable organizations to create a new revenue line, um, that, and you can, you can either charge for that or you can, uh, you know, certainly bundle that in, uh, you know, with the registration, but it actually improves the outcomes and yield, uh, you know, for your learners as well. So, you know, to us, it, it feels like a win-win. Um, and so, and, and it also increases the, the access, uh, the, just the ease of access and the scale of access. And so I think the business models that have been successful in, in many ways, um, you know, can still be the same as, as they were before, just amplified in, in, in a varied uh, streams. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll see some new models we're not thinking of, uh, uh, emerge and, and take hold. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, there was a lot of buzz around things like massive open online courses a while back that I, I think that the business model never really quite clarified for those. But, um, but I think as the technology evolves, you know, we'll, we'll see new business models emerge. And of course, everything, everything in this whole uh, education learning market is evolving very quickly. I mean, there's always, there's a new buzzword all the time, it, it, it seems like. Um, I, I'm wondering, you know, for you, what are, what are some key trends that you're tracking right now? And, and these may not be, you know, specifically in education or even in technology, um, for that matter. Um, these may be, you know, higher level um, sort of trends, but, um, but that are going to impact education in, in one way or another. Um, what, what are some, some, areas that you're tracking right now and, and, and trying to, trying to foresee the impact that they're going to have? Yeah, no, I think, um, that's a, it's a great question. You know, for us, you know, we, we are tracking a number of key themes. So certainly I think at the highest levels, uh, the, the sort of digital, uh, and technology adoption broadly, as we talked about, um, you know, in other sectors that that percentage now is in the 20 to 30%, uh, as opposed to, you know, single digits for the education sector. So we think that there's, we believe that there's an opportunity for, you know, really kind of 10x growth in digital penetration, mm. you know, within education. And, and by the way, that means anything from content delivery uh, to process automation as well. So, you know, we as an investor, we're not only looking at companies that are uh, digitizing content. We're also looking at companies that are providing technology 
uh, software solutions to institutions of learning. Uh, so that could be higher ed, that could be K-12. Uh, you know, we've also invested in a company called Degreed, uh, you know, which some of your listeners may be familiar with, which is doing uh, essentially skills tracking. And so that's a platform. Uh, you talk about new business models. Uh, you know, what they're doing is they've stood up a business around, you know, tracking uh, the skills that any uh, employee essentially has been uh, gaining over the course of their career. Right. So for any individuals today, the last time that you learn something isn't certainly isn't when you had a uh, university degree. Uh, it could absolutely be you went to uh, a certain conference or you listened to uh, a certain you took a certain course uh, online. You obviously, uh, you know, had a certification, uh, as it were. And so having those different types of skills tracked, uh, you know, this is what Degreed is doing. And so that that's an interesting business that um you know, I'd say 10 years ago, couldn't, couldn't really have existed in the same way uh, that it does today because, uh, you know, a lot of that may not be digitally tracked um, or even communicated uh, in the same way, you know, in terms of uh, profiles and skills learning and assessments. And so the digitization of, of learning, uh, again, is some a big theme that we're tracking. Uh, another thing that we're tracking certainly is simulation learning. Uh, and, and by that, I mean, uh, essentially, it's not just you know, static content. It's not just PDF. Certainly, it's not text. It's not even just videos, um, but it's actually interactive simulation training. And so we've uh, we recently invested in a company called Labster, uh, and this is more in the science uh, domain, STEM education. Um, and they're working together with uh, a number of higher ed institutions, uh, MIT among them, uh, as an example. And they're providing uh, essentially biology and chemistry lab simulation learning. Uh, and so high schools around the U.S., uh, the Danish government uh, recently sponsored uh, for all Denmark uh, students to be uh, the, all Danish students uh, to, to have a Labster account. Uh, and what they're doing is they're providing essentially simulation training uh, around labs. Uh, and so you can imagine the high cost of uh, creating a laboratory uh, for experiments and students learning in a physical laboratory. If you can do some of that or all of that, frankly you know, online uh, and in a simulated fashion, uh, you can think about it as a flight simulator instead of spending all the time in a jet fighter, you're, you're also spending time in a flight simulator. You know, I see that happening not in, not only in just, you know, labs for, for high school students and for university students, but frankly, in uh, a number of other vocational areas as well. Um, you can certainly imagine simulation training being uh, used effectively. Uh, and again, increasing the access increasing the scalable uh, nature of the training and reducing uh, the cost um, all at the same time. Um, you know, I would say another one is, is uh, certainly around AI. Um, you know, a lot of our companies, and that's a, you know, obviously common buzzword uh, that's out there right now. I would just say that a lot of our companies are incorporating uh, AI uh, into their products and into, again, uh, the ability to glean and, and draw from all of the data that they're gathering um, along the in terms of the usage of their products, and then turning around and incorporating those insights to make the experience even better or adapted to uh, individual learners. Uh, and I think that's just a consistent theme that we're seeing, uh, you know, right now in the sector. And then certainly, I would say lastly is um, international. I mean, I think even for uh, a lot of your listeners, um, you know, I suspect international is an interesting growth uh, arc for them as well, right? So uh, for the CFA as an example, certainly, um, you know, many CFA uh, candidates are, are coming from India or coming from China. 
uh, as well as the U.S. Um, you know, really no reason why certain other certifications uh, that carry weight in a given field of study or given field of practice, um, you know, shouldn't be able to pursue that. And we're seeing companies internationally that are also growing, um, you know, around education and technology uh, as well, certainly. Yeah, that's, that's such a great area. In fact, I've, you know, come to the point where I, I tell pretty much any, any membership organization uh, I work with, and this probably applies to just about any company too, that, um, that you really need to be thinking of yourself as an international organization now, whether mm. you have in the past yeah. or not, you know, cause you're, you're accessible from, from everywhere in the world right. and, and you've probably right. got value. So, uh, that's great. And I like that you mentioned, um, simulation, uh, based learning. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how rapidly that evolves. I think it's already evolved a lot further than I think most people appreciate. And I like that you mm-hmm. mentioned the, the lab company. I've, I've worked with, um, manufacturing organizations, you know, where they have like right. apprenticeship right. Type programs, which are, I mean, they're really cumbersome and, and expensive to run because you, you have to have the machines and get the people to the machines. But, you know, if you can do that through simulation, which is increasingly possible, right. you suddenly open up access in, in just a major way. So I think that's just a, a fascinating area and looking, looking forward to seeing how that evolves. And I think just on that point, the simulation is going to not only just get better and better, but then you start to incorporate um, the the potential use of a uh, virtual reality as well, um, mm-hmm. which again is is one of those types of technologies. If you um, and it again goes back to my earlier comment, a lot of times technologies uh, you know take a lot longer than than folks would expect to to get adopted, but then when they do, they really take off much faster right. uh, than than folks expect. Uh, I, I think VR falls into that category. I mean, certainly I would say, uh, you know, even five years ago, it, it always felt like, hey, it could be right around the corner. Uh, you know, you had things, um, you know, companies obviously like Oculus out there uh, as well. And so I, I think there is a lot of promise uh, in VR. I'm not smart enough to know exactly when that's going to take off. But, you know, again, when you think about simulation training and the ability to incorporate and, and lean on VR technology, this, the manufacturing uh, setting that you talked about certainly is um, entirely appropriate, right? If you can incorporate, uh, you know, VR simulation training to, to get as close to reality as possible uh, and allow people, frankly, to make mistakes in that simulated, uh, you know, VR world without um, you know, creating a lot of physical real life damage. Uh, you know, that, that, you know, I think there's a lot of use cases for that, um, you know, that could transform a number of industries and frankly, uh, you know, for associations and, and learning uh, as well be a big part of, um, you know, their businesses going forward at some point in time. Definitely. I've, I've been uh, tracking a little bit of what uh, what Microsoft is doing in that area, and they seem to be really going all in on it and, uh, and mm-hmm. really are already got some amazing things happening with their their, their hollow glasses. I can't remember exactly what they call them, but uh, it gives right. you sort of I think it's hollow lens, right? And they yeah. just released a, a new one. I think they have a big conference ongoing right now, even uh, showcasing some of that technology. So it, it's pretty amazing stuff. Definitely, definitely. Well, very interesting times, uh, as everybody listening recognizes. Um, as we're as we're starting to to wind up here, and, and thanks again for you know coming on and um, and, and sharing uh, your perspectives. And uh, I think it's the first time we've had an, an, an investor on the uh, the show, so it's great to to you know see how you see things. But um, but I would like to turn to to you personally, um, as, as we're, uh, getting ready to exit here. And, um, want to ask you a question that we ask of all of our guests and, um, and it's one that, uh, you know, does focus on your personal learning. And that is 
What is one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? Yeah, no, I'd say uh, that, that, that will be an easy one uh, for, right. for me to answer. And I would say that it's, it, it's my job. Uh, mm-hmm. It's investing. Um, you know, this is a uh, career path where, you know, we are learning uh, and I am learning, you know, every day. Um, you know, we're out there talking to companies every day. We're out there talking to uh, industry analysts. We're out there trying to understand, you know, what's going on. Uh, in different subsegments of the market, what are the key trends? Um, you know, all the things that we've been talking about. These are things that that we're studying every day, um, and you know, we're we're doing it because we want to pick uh, the best companies to invest in, uh, and we also want to be as knowledgeable um, and helpful as possible as we support our uh, our existing companies as well, right? I mean, the way that we invest. Um, you know, and much like a lot of venture investors, the way that we invest is, you know, we like to invest where there's kind of post-product market fit. Uh, these companies are already built a product and they're delivering something the market wants. So that's interesting learning for us to, to continue to follow those trends. You know, as we help the companies, these companies scale and, uh, you know, help them think about, you know, how can we make their products even better? How can we make their offerings even stronger, uh, you know, and, and leverage, you know, our capital to go do that? You know, we really have to have a view on, you know, where it can be helpful, right? And so, you know, learning about things like the simulation side, learning about things like uh, the benchmarking and data, uh, and thinking about how that's incorporated into, uh, you know, the companies uh, and the products that we're investing behind, that, that is constant learning, uh, you know, for us. Um, and then also, I would say that, you know, from, from our executives and our CEOs, we are learning from them, you know, all the time. Uh, you know, this is a partnership. Uh, you know, they are on the front lines having the customer conversations uh, and distilling that in the board meetings, you know, for us to really kind of digest. And it's fascinating because, uh, you know, again, across 28 portfolio companies, all of which are focused on education and education technology, we really have uh, a unique position where we can see uh, some of these trends evolving. Um, you know, we're starting to make international investments. And so learning about those markets, um, just in the last eight months, we've invested in uh, one company in, in China, one company in Europe, and one company in India. Uh, and seeing the trends uh, that are happening in those geographies, how can they be uh, now translated into opportunities for our companies here in the U.S.? Uh, and then vice versa, how can some of the things that our U.S. companies do uh, you know, be uh, sort of valuable to those international companies uh, that we're investing in. Um, so I, I would just say my job right now uh, and, and for the last 15 years has been a, a constant education. And um, it, it's always uh, it's always a fascinating uh, day when when I can continue to learn and and bring back to our companies, um, you know, what we're seeing in the market. Well, I can definitely uh, see and, and appreciate uh, how that would be a it's a fascinating role to, to be playing. It's a very, um, I'll, I'll use a, a term that got used in a, in a recent podcast uh, coined by, um, I guess, Nancy Bacon. She talks about things being learning full. Um, I think you've definitely got a very learning full job uh, in, in what you do there at, uh, at Al Ventures. Well, just to, to wrap up then, um, if listeners want to, to learn more about uh, Al Ventures or connect with you, um, where should they go mm-hmm. to, to do those things? Uh, you know, we, our website uh, is a good place to start, uh, alvc.com, uh, and you, you can always feel free to reach me uh, directly as well uh, at ian at alvc.com. 
Uh, and so, you know, we have, um, also a LinkedIn page that you can follow and a number of other, uh, avenues, Twitter, et cetera. So, uh, all the usual uh, stuff right now. <laughs> well, great. And, and I'll clarify that it is, uh, owl is in the bird O W L for anybody who's listening and, and not seeing it in, in print. Uh, um, just to be clear about that. So yeah, definitely go check out Al ventures. Um, uh, check out what Ian is doing there. And Ian, thanks so much for being a guest on leading learning. Absolutely. Real pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. That wraps up our interview with Ian Chu. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 186. When you check out the show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. If you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. And as we noted at the very beginning of this episode, we'd also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. Go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. To do that, Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but more importantly, reviews and ratings play an important role in helping the podcast show up when people search for content on learning and leading. And we'd be grateful if you'd check out our sponsors for this quarter. Find out about community brands at leadinglearning.com slash community brands and find out what WBT Systems has to offer at leadinglearning.com slash WBT. Finally, please tell others about the podcast. You can send a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. You can also like us on Facebook and share us there at facebook.com slash leading lifelong learning. However you do it, please spread the good word about leading learning. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.